Tell me a story. Everyone loves to hear a good story. And if you're a business leader and want to tell the story of your brand, then Gabrielle Dolan is the person to talk to. Her latest book, Magnetic Stories, tells you how to connect with your customers and engage employees with your brands. Gabrielle will help you get your message across without jargon, without fluff. You're going to love this one. Gabrielle Dolan. Okay, welcome to the Reset Podcast. Gabrielle Dolan, is it good being you? Oh, yes, that's a great question. Yes, it is good being me because there's no point wanting to be someone else, is it? Well, tell me a story about why it's good being you. Oh, look, at the moment I am, I, I think I've got a really good life. It's, uh, it's, it's by design, it's by making some tough choices, but, you know, I'm just like I'm up today. I've had a client meeting over the phone. I'm speaking to you. I've got a little live TV show after this. I'm going to get my hair cut after that. Then I'm flying to um, Sydney to run a workshop with the client at Q Station in Manly and then catching up with some good mates, Janine Garner and Lane Beachley, and then going on holiday. So, you know, at the moment, life is bloody brilliant. Well, that does sound amazing, doesn't it? It sounds really good. And I really want to have a good chat about your, your new book. It's called Magnetic Stories. And I've, I've finished this reading this last week and you've changed the way I think we've got to sort of get people to learn. And one of the things you talk about this is that people will actually remember stories and the learning will sort of become part of them. Can you tell us, tell us why that is and, and why, yeah. why we need to get better at storytelling? Yeah, there's actually a great quote, and I, it escapes me who said it. It's probably one of those quotes that you can never find the uh, person who said it, and it's it's experience is the best teacher, but stories right. are the second best teacher. So, you know, yeah, and it's okay. like it is one of those things. It's like, you know, when you want to teach your kids something really, really important that helps them remember it, you share stories. You tell them a story about when that happened to you or something like that, or we use fables, which are stories. So it really comes from the point that when people hear a story, they not only understand the message better, but they actually remember it and connect with it. And that's the power of stories. And it's just a, it's just a shame we don't appreciate that more in business. Yeah, well, I guess some of the, and I love the way you don't do case studies in your book, you do case stories, which um, a couple of them really struck home with me. Um, one of them, you, you talked about a restaurant in Florida, Oh, my God, the, I love that restaurant. The Columbia restaurant. But I read the bits that you talked about, and I'll, I'll get you to fill in the story about the, the Colombian restaurant in Florida, but it just made me think I want to go to Florida and I really want to go to that restaurant because of the story you told. And I'm not sure companies and people actually know the power of that. So yeah. tell us about the Columbia restaurant because it's such yeah. a cool story. The, the, and, you know, while I was in Florida about four years ago and kicking myself, I hadn't heard of them before this. So I, I had a friend who lived in Florida and she went to this restaurant and she she sent me a message going, Raul, you've got to look at these. They have stories on their menu. So I looked at their menu and their wine list and their website and just really good stories. They're a fifth-generational, um, they're the oldest um, restaurant in Florida and their use of stories from little snippets on their menu to their wine list, the story of how the company started on their Netflix, oh, not on their Netflix, on their website sounds like a Netflix. I sort of read that right. 
read that wanting to know more. And like, when have you ever done that? When have you ever read the about us section of a company and go, I really want to know more. Um, and they just use stories. I, I actually rang them. I rang them to interview them for the book. And one of the first questions I wanted to ask them is when they sort of made this realization that stories were really powerful and made a commitment to share them. And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, Luke, they might've said 10 years ago or 15 years ago, 1942 was their answer. (laughs) So, but the cool thing, what they did is they, they, they hired a journalist to write an article every day in the local paper, but the article wasn't about the restaurant as such, it was about the what they called the characters of Colombia. So about, you know, the barman that had worked there for 20 years, about the customer had who had been coming for the last 15 years for their wedding anniversary. And no, that one was like 70 years. I know. Well, now How eventually was... it's 70. Oh, so nineteen forty two it was 15 years. Yeah. yeah okay. So so one of those things is I talked stories about your customer. It was like that story is this couple, um, this is for your listeners because you've read it and I wrote it, but for your listeners, um, this couple came to the Columbia restaurant for their wedding anniversary, their first wedding anniversary. They came the next year and coincidentally got the same table. Columbia restaurant hold that same table for them and they've been coming back for 72 years. And they shared that story on Valentine's Day as, you know, a sign of love. But the cool thing about that story is their customers are the hero, but at the same point you're going, hey, it must be a bloody cool restaurant for someone to spend their wedding anniversary there 72 years in a row. Yeah, it is a it's it's a crazy story, isn't it? But mm. that that sticks with me. Like you, I, I read these sort of books all the time, and you don't. I, I often feel when you re- finish a book, if you can take a sentence out of it, you know, you've you've done really well. All right? Yeah, take- I think. Yeah, I think the amount of people that have read the book and go, "Oh my god, I'm going to go to the Columbia restaurant the next time in Florida." I hope I hope I get some kickback. I might increase their increase their clients. Yeah, it should. Be. Well, we were a long way away, but uh, we're hopefully a long they way. do. But even even other ones like um, you're not the most girly girl in the world, are you? No, I'm not. Tomboy no. is what I'd be called. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, that that's awesome. Yet you you now have a a thing for shoes, which yes. just when I read that, I'm thinking that doesn't sound like the rail I know. That doesn't sound like her. But tell tell us your, your shoes. Have you got cool shoes on today? I have <laughs> because it's become my thing. So, yeah, look, I um, I, I just hated shoes. I remember hating shoes and probably because I hated them and didn't buy very good ones and, I remember that I remember growing up as a kid, mum taking me shoe shopping and it used to be horrendous for me. And I assume for her, because we're buying school shoes, there's not a lot of variety of school shoes, but I just didn't like any of them. Anyway, I um the the shoe story sort of falls into this whole concept of being aware of what your brand is and how it can evolve either um, strategically or organically. And so when I left uh, NAB to teach people storytelling, the one thing I wanted to, the brand to be, I guess, around storytelling, not necessarily me, what the, the storytelling is still professional but different. So I sort of took on this thing that my brand would be professional but different um, to, you know, be like storytelling. And that mm-hmm. sort of coincided with the way I dress. So, you know, I would not be wearing the corporate suits, but I'd still look professional. So I'd be wearing jeans and blazers and stuff like that. And I came across about five years ago, this shoe company in Melbourne 
and, and flat shoes because I hate wearing high heels, flat shoes, but really like make almost making a statement shoes. I was silver or that, you know, really funky colors. And I bought a pair and I got so much feedback from them that I bought another pair. And then over a very short period of time, um, people were almost disappointed when I wasn't wearing these shoes and they, they've become part of my brand. And I was happy for them to become part of my brand because the shoes are professional but different. So I I sort of shared that story to say you've got to be aware of how your brand can evolve organically because sometimes it can evolve organically in a direction you don't want it to go. Well, I guess one of the things about that shoe, what's the name of the brand of the shoes? Let's give them a little plug. The name is Is Habit. So H-A-B-B-O-T. They're a Melbourne designer and beautifully Italian leather shoes. So they're so cool. Do they just love you now? Um, yeah, I think they love me. I think they, they love me. I, 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 but I'm not an influencer. I don't get, you know, <laughs> I don't get any freebies and stuff. But, um, right. but yeah, I have, I, I have made an effort to drop in and um, give them a copy of my book because the, the you know, I'm, I'm wearing shoes in the picture of my book, in the picture right. of my back cover of my book. But, it, but what, the one thing I really got, I loved about that is that it, the story of the shoes became part of you, but it was, it was in line with your values still. Mm. You know what I mean? It, was the, it wasn't like a stiletto sort of shoe that, it, that doesn't line up with you. It was a shoe that fits with you but was also stylish and differently professional and all of that sort of stuff. And, yeah, and, and, the, and the counter story I share to uh, reinforce that message of be aware of what your brand is but also be aware of how it can evolve organically is, um, you know, a few months before we went into lockdown, I got um, like fake nails, not not SNS nail polish, and it's not really me, but I just had it and it, like it, you know, I kept it for a couple of months because it makes you sound like you're typing really fast, but it wasn't it wasn't really me. And then when we went into lockdown, I just made this little, uh, you know, I love a challenge how ridiculous the challenge is it doesn't matter and I thought I wonder how long I could keep them as they grow out because you normally get them taken off after three weeks and I start putting photos on Instagram once a week with a little update to say there's seven left there's five left and within about three weeks I noticed people were tagging me on posts to do with fake nails and I'm thinking I don't I'm I don't want boy I don't I, give a shit about fake I don't nails. want and my brand is about being real and authentic and I don't want anything fake to do with that. So I know it. I And at the time I thought, am I being a little bit oversensitive about positioning? I mean, we talk about obsessive about positioning, but I just thought I'm going to not only stop posting about it, I actually removed the post from my Instagram account. And I remember when I gave a copy of my book to one of my most senior clients, um, he read the book and when he read that story, he said, I must admit when I was seeing your Instagram posts on your fake nails, the first thing I thought of was that's against brand. So right. I, I thought I was being a little bit sensitive, but I ha- I've had clients go, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So, I mean, the whole concept of the book is you've got to be aware of what your brand is, what you want it to be, and then make sure that you're sharing stories in line with that, but also make sure your actions are, are reflecting your brand. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really, it's, it's just exactly that those stories have got to tell you, tell what your values are. You ask, one of the other stories um, I really liked was just telling things about what's important and they went back and told stories from one one girl was six years old or something and she was telling stories about being tenacious or being resilient and the way she 
dealt that with the with the company was I this is what happened to me when I was six years old and it's still true today. Yeah. And yeah. Is it how do how do we go about sort of almost mining for those stories? Because we've all got them in there, but they don't often spring to mind. So how do we, how do we go about finding some stories that will actually help illuminate that? Yeah, look, I think I think the first step, step is understanding the power of these stories. So that's the first step. But we're, we're, you, the vast majority of the work I do is I go into organisations and teach the leaders how to share stories more effectively. And it's normally around the customer value. So the example you're giving was, you know, you, you've got a company value, but if the leaders aren't talking about what it means to them personally, then it's it's they just remain you know words on a wall. So part of the process of the education process is not only teaching the power of stories, but showing them how these personal stories. And when I say personal, I'm not talking over personal. It's just not from work. So stories about when you were a six year old kid um, and how the value you got from that, and you share those stories and connect it to a company value, which just really brings the, the company value to life. So there's, you know, there's there's one in there about a girl who who got a goldfish and she didn't look after <laughs> it. And that is such a it's such a powerful story. The, again, the amount of people that go, oh my God, I love the story about the goldfish and her dad gave it CPR and it was just like but that was you, all- well, that was the one I, I was talking about. It's like this girl didn't clean the, the fish bowl. She knew she was meant to and she didn't. The fish yeah. died and her dad brought it back yeah, to life yeah, yeah. with CPR. So one, one of the, you know, again, I think the company value was accountability and she talked about that, you know, we often do the, when we take on stuff, we do the good stuff, but there's accountability and she really wanted a fish. She called it cough, cough the fish because she had a cough at the time and, um she, you know, the rules were that her, she had to clean the tank and uh, one didn't she clean the tank and she saw the fish floating and she, and the story goes her dad got it and, like, was waving it around and, yeah. and, and, and giving it a little CPR, throwing water on it and it came back to life. I, and, it, and she said it lived for, like, another 10 years or something. I, I actually sent, um, I sent a copy of the book to her because she shared a story and I actually said give me your dad's address and I'll send it to him so <laughs> I sent a dad lives in London so um, I hope he received his copy and I th- I'm sure he didn't think he'd ever become you know that story would end up in a book 20 <laughs> years fi- down the, the track. You're the fish whisperer that, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that brings dead goldfish back to life. I know. The, the anti-flusher of goldfish. Yeah and, and so I guess you know to answer your, your original question Sometimes people would go, why, why would I share a story about my goldfish when I was a little kid and how is, why is that relevant? And I go, it's really relevant because it, it shows you what that value means to you and it's a, it's a memorable story. And if people remember the story, they'll remember the message. Yeah, it's amazing trying to, trying to remember those stories though and just because they don't have a context really. When you're, when you're developing a context, then they do, but... To just say, oh, I remember a story about when I was a kid, blah, 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 happened. Yeah. They're really difficult. So is there, is there any tips that you give to help us find those stories? Yeah, look, one of the, one of the things I, I suggest is almost do like this brain dump of like just think of everything you can remember, like almost start from your earliest memory and work through your life. Now, mm-hmm. you're not going to record everything and sometimes you're just going to record the really big things. But what starts to happen is you'll think of something and you go, I haven't thought about that 
for ages. Why am I thinking of that? And it's there for a reason. So it could be, you know, it could just be when you got in trouble, you know, when you stole a Kit Kat when you were 10 because your friend dared you to steal a Kit Kat. And you go, well, mm-hmm. is, is that is there something in that? And I'd be going, well, the fact that you've recalled it, I reckon yeah. there's something in there that you've regretted doing it all your life. That honesty is a value of yours. Yeah, and- so maybe it's like, the, you know, honesty is such a value that you still sort of think about, you know, stealing a little Kit Kat when you were 10 and, and it, it's there with you. So maybe honesty is a real value or so, you know, what's your, is your company value honesty, integrity, whatever it is. So we link it to that. Um, I know part of the education process when, when I teach people, it's like their storytelling radar goes up. So they start to notice stories. Mm-hmm. Um, things will happen to them and it's almost like, well, how could I use that story? And yeah. I, I do that all the time. I'm just, you know, especially when you travel or walking along, I'll see something and I'll take a photo and, you know, my kids go, are you going to write a blog about that, mum? I go, probably. Or <laughs> I'm, I'm just, allowed to if I want to. And I can. and Or I'm just keeping it. As a story, so I'm. I'm. You got to be on the lookout for the stories and what what they mean. I um. I'll give you an example, Luke, because I, I do love this example. So um, during uh, winter, uh, so you know, I, I'm a bit of a seasonal drinker, as in I drink white wine in summer and red wine mm-hmm. in winter. And over winter, my um 20 year old daughter Alex got me onto these wine drops. So. I don't know oh, if people yeah. use them. Little wine drops, little bottle. You put five drops in your bottle of red. It's meant to reduce the preservatives, reduce the effect preservatives have on you the next day. So yep. this was a Friday night. I open a bottle of red. I put in the five drops. I pour myself a glass, pour Alex a glass. She goes to refill the glass later and she's standing at the kitchen holding up the wine drops and goes, says, Mum, you didn't put these in the wine, did you? And I'm looking at her going, yeah, wine. She goes, you know they're not wine drops, they're eye drops, and it was just like going (laughs) to the bottles are identical. They're pretty, well, they're different colours, but they're very similar. So she's going, you probably poisoned us. So I go, get up. My first reaction, granted, my first reaction was who was the idiot that left eye drops right next to the wine bottle, like who did that? My second reaction was how could I use this story? Because it's a funny, like it's a funny, yeah. it's a quick, funny story. And then so my process then is what message could I take from that? And then I think that would be a really cool story around assumptions, how mm-hmm. I just made an assumption that that was the wine drops because it was a similar looking bottle. It was a yeah. completely different colour, mind you. Um, I made the assumption so strongly that I didn't even read the label. Mind you, if I had read the label, the eye drop said blink, relief in every blink, and I reckon on a Friday night I would have just read that as drink, relief in every drink. <laughs> the, the weird thing is I'm, I'm actually an optometrist as in, a, in a former life and I've actually had patients come in who have done the opposite. They've put the wine drops in their eyes and it burns the crap out of them. Yeah. The well, whole I did, front I of did, the cornea yeah. goes off. So I did think I was, at least you mixed it, it up a, the right way. Yeah, it was the safest stuff up, that's for sure. Yeah. It is. So you, you get very technical in your storytelling and um, there's there's three parts to the storytelling that's really, really technical and I want you to tell, tell me what your three parts of a good story are. I'm trying to think of which, which three technical parts you're referring to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being too cryptic. Very, um, being very you, cryptic. You, you warmed it up to say that every story needs a beginning, a middle and an end. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you don't you don't want to be that person telling the story without an end. You don't want to yeah. be that person. I mean, even the never ending story ended. So you got to have a beginning, <laughs> middle, and end. I do. That is the framework I teach people, and I know it's really it seems relatively simple, but there's some there's some real effective ways to start your story and and end your story and some terrible ways to start and end your story. So we don't want to be starting our story with, you know, let me tell you a story about honesty and or we don't want to be ending our story with. So the moral of the story is you need to. You don't want to be telling people uh, what to think with your story. You want them, you want to allow them to connect with them on a personal level. So there's a real there's a real skill, especially to the ending, like how you start your story, what you put in the middle, what you leave out, and how you end it so it gets your message across but without being directive at the end. So just leaving that little bit of room for the person hearing the story to to make their own, own assumptions yeah, and to so, get their own learning from it. And, and it could be something like the lesson I learned from that was the importance of honesty, but it could also be things like, you know, um, I invite you to consider what you do or imagine what we could achieve if. So it's got to be, it's it's the hardest part. That the the ending of the story is when most of my you know workshop participants go, oh my God, this is so much harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. And, and it is because you know, if it was easy, we'd all be doing it and we'd all be doing it well. And I'd be retired. So, <laughs> is one of those tips to, is to ask that sort of more open-ended question that's a little bit sort of vague to allow them the room to to fill in the gaps. Yeah, look, you can end your story with a question, um, but uh, but other things it could be like, you know, imagine what we could achieve for our customers if we all had the determination to make it to the other side or or you could link back to the story. So, you know, in regards to the fish, you know, the goldfish and cough, the story, it could be, you know, imagine what we could achieve if we all took accountability to clean the fishbowl or, or, you know, yeah. something like that. Where, so where you, are the fishbowls in your life? That's yeah, where are the fishbowls? Where are the dirty fishbowls in your life? So it, it, it's, you know, there's a – I often talk about um, there's the art and science to storytelling, so there's an absolute science to it, but the art bit is sometimes just playing with the ending and playing with what goes in and what goes out and just sort of going there's enough there or there's too much there and that becomes sort of the art form of it. Mm-hmm. And is it a – it's often a good idea to come back to them as well, that sort of loop back idea in your stories where you go off on tangents and, and sort of come back. That That's a hard one for me. I've, have you got any tips on how to sort of how to be able to do that better? Yeah, look, sometimes the loop back is often referring back to the story. So, you know, for example, if if someone started a presentation on accountability and they started with that goldfish story, uh, it's almost like cleaning the gold, cleaning the tank becomes the metaphor for accountability or where we're mm. not taking accountability. So through a, it either through a presentation you could refer back to it or or end end referring back to the story. But then as you go through, you know, if this is with your team, you're constantly referring to um, cleaning the gold, cleaning the fish tank. And everyone, yeah. not because everyone's heard the story, they all know they all know that that's the metaphor that we need to take responsibility for this. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Something like that, eating the red frog or those Absolutely. sorts of things. You can keep coming back to some of those stories. Yeah, yeah. You? But Thank the key, you. the key is everyone has to have heard the story. Otherwise, right. this is and this is one of the mistakes with jargon too. We, we, Peeps, new people come into our team and everyone's talking about this is our, you know, um, clean the fish tank moment. People are going, what the hell? What the fuck is what clean is the fish that? tank? Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, tell me, tell me a bit more about about jargon free Fridays because I'm that person when someone rattles off, oh, we've got to do a CRM with this. I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, Three letter acronyms just get me every time. I never know what they are, and I always feel like an idiot when they are. But one of the things from listening to you talk is I now never hesitate to ask, "Oh, what is that?" Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, what 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 is a CRM? What is yeah. a three letter acronym that I have no idea what that means? And yeah. one of the things I learned from listening to to a lot of your stuff is to just be super brave and don't be afraid to look like an idiot if you don't know what those acronyms mean. Yeah, exactly. And so my philosophy too is a lot of people are scared to ask, but in my head, in my head, I'm thinking if someone's using jargon or acronyms that people don't know, they're the poor communicators. Like I just go, well, in my head, I go, you're a shit communicator. So I'm going to ask you what that means. Um, I don't, I don't say that to them, but in my head, it gives me the confidence to go, they're the one that's, let's, that's causing the problem. So I'm going to ask them. And the, and the point is it's acronym. We just have this ridiculous addiction to acronyms. Like if as soon as something is three words, we feel the need to reduce it to an acronym. And what it does is exactly what you said, Luke, it was like, you don't, either you don't understand it and you have to ask or you do have to, you understand it, but you've got to think about it. So you've got to do the interpretation. It is literally like when someone's speaking another language that the listener or the reader has to interpret. And then as the person communicating, you are putting a lot of hope that they are interpreting the acronym to what you want. Because for every acronym, there are so many different variations, you know, like a simple SME, like SME, half of you will think subject matter expert, half will think small to medium enterprise. And I had no you, idea what either of them were. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You could be having a whole conversation with someone and you either you're not knowing what they're talking about or you're assuming they're talking about subject matter expert and they're talking small to medium enterprise. And and it it just leads to miscommunication. But we just we think it's effective. It's it's so it's such an inefficient way to communicate using acronyms. One of my favourite stories of that was um, a, a person was overseas and they were, they were sent back their grandma to say that something really bad happened yeah. and grandma sent LOL. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. That's all right. She yeah. thought it meant lots of love <laughs> and they thought it meant uh, laugh out loud. Yeah, so exactly. Those those sort of they're always quite cool when they get mixed up. So yeah, I guess the other the, other the other one I talk about is STIs. So me growing up in the corporate world, STIs was always short term incentives. Okay. Um, but now everyone, well, most people know it as sexually transmitted infections. Right. So you know, if you ask someone what STIs they currently have in a job interview, you know, <laughs> not good. Well, you might get some good stories out of it. You'll get to know them a little bit better and, and where they've been in the past. Exactly. But uh, it's it's been so much fun talking to you, Ralph. Enjoy going to Sydney today and in, enjoy uh, enjoy Magnetic Stories. Magnetic Stories, where can we get this? Because it's a fantastic uh, book. Yeah, so I'm so excited. So it, literally any bookstore, so Dimmicks and all the normal bookstores, but any online store, so Amazon, Booktopia, wherever. Um, it debuted, it came out at the start of the month and it debuted at number two in business and management books in Australia, which I was mm-hmm. stoked about. Um, the number one book is um, Think Again from, oh, I forget his name, Adam, Adam, Adam Grant. Grant. I've, I've actually, thinking, I've bought more copies of that to give to people than I have of yours. So I've got to oh, try well, and weigh okay. up the balance. Well, so can you please fix that up? a little bit of that. 
He, I mean, it's good. He's a good book. He's um, he's a UK author. So technically, Adam Grant's the, in the US. Of the US is he? There you go. Yes. Well, technically, I'm the number one Australian author in the business and management section, which is pretty cool because I was. Well, I'm going to take the jargon, that- like technical and stuff, out of that. I'm just going to say you're the number one business and management author yeah, in yeah, Australia yeah. at the moment. And, Let's just go and, with that. And you know the other tip for a story: know where to end it. <laughs> I am the number one author. There you go. <laughs> On that cue, Rel, it's been emotional. It's been fantastic talking to you. And if everyone can learn how to tell better stories, I think we're gonna we're gonna be able to talk about our brands and and actually learn stuff that sticks. So thank you very much for coming on the Reset Podcast. Thanks, Luke. Have loved it.